if he had given me an immediate healing, if I had walked out of ICU on day two or day 10 and been healed, that would have been great. But he was after so much more than a physical healing. And by not healing me, I was coming to him again and again and again. Welcome to the Faith Inspired Podcast by Faith and Gather. I'm your host, Erica Dvorak. Join me and the Faith and Gather community as we become faith inspired to tackle the messy and embrace the beautiful areas of life. We're going to meet you right where you're at, right when you need it, by helping you live a less stressed, more joy-filled life lived by bold faith and walking in obedience. You have a God-sized calling, but you don't have to choose between your sanity or juggling it all. We'll keep you one step ahead, armed with knowledge to fight your everyday battles and live a life faith-inspired. Because faith is not just a belief, it's a lifestyle. Have you ever been on a path and suddenly something so big shifts you off your tracks and takes you on a detour to a life you never envisioned? Lori Ann Wood's life took a divine detour when she discovered a serious heart condition almost too late. As she sat in her hospital room, she started to ask questions she was embarrassed to ask as a longtime believer, but questions she wanted answers to. Although God led her down a path she would not have chosen, in return, He provided her with the faith she always wanted. So listen in as Lori Ann and I discuss the significance of doubt in faith, the impact of God's silence on your journey, and the thought-provoking questions that, if asked, will open your eyes, heart, and mind to a faith that is rooted deep. Lori Ann, welcome to the Faith Inspired Podcast. Uh, Thanks for having me, Erica. It's great to be here. It's so great to have you on. You have quite the incredible story of how God has led you down a path that you wouldn't have chosen for yourself, but in return provided you with such a faith that you've always wanted. And I would love for you just to get us started and really just get right in there by sharing who you are and that story. This all started about eight years ago now. It's hard to believe it's been that long, but now I'm an empty nest mom, but at the time I still had kids home and it was Thanksgiving week. I was getting ready for the holiday and doing all the mom things and I wasn't feeling myself and I knew I was under the weather and I thought maybe I had the flu or I had pneumonia at the worst. And I went to convenient care a couple of times that week, hoping to kind of nip it in the bud and nothing happened. And then on Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, I had spent Thanksgiving basically in bed because I just didn't have the energy to get out of bed. And my husband insisted I go see our PCP on Black Friday. And when I did, he listened to my heart. You know, they always listen with a stethoscope. And I'm always like, what are they going <laughs> to figure out by that? But he listened and he said, if we're lucky, it's pneumonia. And I remember looking at my husband thinking, that didn't sound very lucky to me. But, you know, we were very naive and and really ignorant of anything in the medical field at that point. And so my doctor ordered a chest x-ray and what he found instead of pneumonia was a very enlarged heart. 
and he direct admitted me into cardiac ICU. And they found that my heart was functioning at just 6% that day when I walked into ICU. And so I spent two weeks there. And I know now that the doctors really didn't expect me to leave ICU, but I did, (laughs) obviously. And it's been kind of a rough journey. While initially I was flown to Cleveland Clinic and I became my doctor's most critical patient there for a year and a half and wore a life vest, which is an external defibrillator because I had what they diagnosed as end-stage heart failure. This just kind of threw us for a loop because I have no family history. I have no risk factors. I've always had low blood pressure and low cholesterol and I'm a healthy eater and I'm active and that never was on my radar. And so we were very shocked and we were also very confused at that diagnosis, but that's what we had. And I went about a year and a half. Well, actually it was, it was exactly 16 months to the day that they told me you have heart failure. I came down with appendicitis and they had to take my appendix out. You know, nobody wanted to operate on that weak heart. Uh, So they did one last test on my heart and said, well, let's just find out, you know, where it's at right now. And then we'll know what we're going to do for this woman that needs her appendix out. And they did what's called an echocardiogram that tests the function of your heart. And they found that my heart, which was originally functioning at 6%, was now functioning at near normal. And I was very shocked, maybe more shocked than I was when I got my first diagnosis because I was told that could never happen, that heart failure's chronic, progressive, it goes in one direction. And I remember being wheeled in to get my appendix out and I'm thinking, I got my life back. You know, I, and I under, I thought I understood God's story. I thought his story was one of, you know, divine healing and answered prayer and his provision. And I was ready to tell that story and I did tell it for, a few years. And then about three or four years ago, my heart function dropped. And since then, I've been an active heart failure again. And so that up and down journey that I've been on with my heart, my physical heart, was what prompted me to start writing. But it's not really what I'm writing about because what was going on under the surface was so much more important my spiritual heart was going up and down at the same time. And I was trying to find, you know, footing in, in my faith. And so that's what really came out of this journey. It feels like a medical story, but it's really so much more than that because it was born of my diagnosis and my illness, but it's not really the story. You have a book called Divine Detour. Was that the reason behind why you wrote that book or what prompted you to write Divine Detour? Yes, I started, you know, I'm one of those people, and I think there's a lot of us out there that feel like we have a book inside of us, but it seems like such a big thing and it seems so daunting and we don't do anything about it. And for me, I was kind of waiting to be an expert at something, I think. But I always loved to write. And I remember someone dropping off. It was a friend of mine had dropped off a notebook in my ICU room. 
you know, I think she expected me to write down like maybe doctor's notes or instructions for the kids at home or medications or something. But what it kind of turned into was when they would come in and wake me up at night to take my vitals, all these questions that would come about what's going on? Why isn't God fixing this? Why am I here? And all of the angst that I was covering over during the daytime was boiling up at night. And I was writing it in this journal. And that journal became part of a blog. And then that blog became some articles. And then from there, I knew that I was reaching people that were on not really a heart failure detour, not really even a health detour, but some sort of life detour where things were going along fine. And then they ended up on this road that they didn't choose and that they didn't want. And so that's when the book started to come together. And I knew that, you know, the people that needed it were so much bigger than just the heart failure community or or the health community. And it was something that I probably should have noticed a long time ago, but it was a good thing to do. And I I felt like God had been leading me from that beginning notebook to start sharing it with people, even though it wasn't something I wanted to do. What are some of those questions that resonated with you and that you wrote down in that hospital room and that resonate with others? I know there are probably things that I've thought of or maybe am in the season of thinking through and probably the listeners too, so I'd love to hear more of those. You know, I, I wish I could show you my the wall. It's still up in my in my office, but I have sticky notes for all the questions. And they, they just came out in no particular order. You know, it was just what I was thinking and what I was feeling and what I was asking and what I was confused about. And so I had all these sticky notes about things that I was writing about. And I thought, as I started to put them all out there, I thought that they don't go together. There's nothing about those questions that are going to ever congeal into anything. And a couple of weeks after I was just sure that it was always going to be just this random splattering of sticky notes, I was looking at the, in Matthew, where Jesus was taken into the desert before he started his public ministry. And we call those the three temptations. But anytime we have a temptation, it's actually an internal question. And so those temptations inspired these three questions that became the basis for the book. Because I knew after studying that that day that everything I was asking fell into those same three buckets. The same three buckets Jesus was facing in the desert, they're the same three things that we face as human beings, you know, whether we're in the desert right now or we're headed there, they sort of nag at us at the back of our mind. But when we get detoured, they demand our attention. And so as I was on that detour, those sticky notes were what demanded my attention. And they started going into those three groups. And the questions that were inspired by Jesus's three temptations were, Probably no, you know, this is not going to be earth shattering to anyone, but they're going to be very familiar. And I think that's the point is that they are the questions that form the basis of our faith and how we live and how we interpret life. So the first one was what I called the question of worry. And that is, 
is this life all there is? And if you remember the in Matthew, when Jesus was tempted, the first temptation was tell these stones to become bread. And when we're tempted in that way, we're thinking, you know, if this life is all there is, then I should just eat that bread. I should just be worried about my physical comfort, my own healing, my own safety, my own happiness. And so I looked at things like loss and uncertainty and fear and regret. And the book is really designed to be read in little pieces because it's a collection of 40 essays and they're all standalone. And so you can start anywhere and you can end anywhere. But 13 of those essays deal with worry. Is this life all there is from different angles? They include, you know, stories from my life, whether it was my childhood or raising children or current day. And it also includes a little bit of that journal that I first started writing in the hospital because I wanted people to feel that pain point and know exactly what I was feeling. And so if they could relate to that. So the first collection was, is this life all there is? And then the second collection, the the second 13 essays is what I call covering the question of doubt, which is, is God always good? And that question is probably, if you were to Google what are the top faith questions? That one's going to come up almost every time. With everything that's going on in the world, and our country, people are asking that all the time. Is God always good? Because it doesn't look good from our angle. From what we can see and what we know, if you're in control, you don't look good. And so I wrestled with that in 13 essays about protection and resilience and vulnerability. That one was one that I enjoyed writing because I knew I grew up in a Christian home. And so I was really validating what I already believed there. I was validating that I know God's always good. And so I'm looking for proof that He is. But again, all of these essays are questions, and I don't come to a pointed answer. And you're not going to get to the end of an essay and go, okay, that's solved and we're moving on. Because I don't think that's how any of us encounter faith questions. I think we all ask the question and then come back to it over and over and over again. So that's the second one. And then the third question is related to that third temptation where Well, the second temptation of the one is God always good was when, you know, Jesus said, if you'll just jump from here, you know, God's not going to let you strike your head against a stone. The angels are going to save you and you're going to be just fine. And what we hear from that when we're reading that story is that if we're believers, God won't let us be harmed. We're his children. He's not going to let us strike our head against a stone. He's going to save us. He's going to rescue us from pain. And so those questions of doubt and God always being good was hard work, but it was good for me. And then the last one that was maybe the hardest one because I knew that I struggled with this one the most is what I called the question of control. 
That's the question, is God's plan enough? The third temptation in the desert, Satan said, if you look out at all these kingdoms, they can all be yours if you'll just bow down to me. I've got a different plan than God has for you, and I think it's better. And so we can sometimes think, I know as a longtime believer what God's plan is, but there's so much pulling me in this world, and there's so much that I question and wonder, is His plan going to be enough? Or can I be in on the plan? Can I tweak it a little bit? And so that question of control, I looked at in essays that dealt with disappointment and failure and waiting. So that's how the book came together. And I still look at the, you know, the sticky notes on the wall and and just marvel that that happened and they came together that way. But that's the format of the book. Wow, what a Holy Spirit prompting right there and how God just opened your eyes when you were reading that and seeing that. It's so beautiful. So I want to go back to that first day when you were diagnosed with end-stage heart failure and really where you were at in that moment and asking those questions. You said that was eight years ago, and then you had children at home. And I'm a mom of two young kids, and I think a lot of moms' brains go there of, you know, what's going to happen to our family and my children? I need to be here. You know, all those questions go through your head. Really, I want to go to that point of, and you said, you know, your essays don't have answers to them, but really what were some of the answers that God gave you in that moment when you were asking some of those questions? That's a great question because it's very insightful too, because there were answers and the answers came in the silent period when I thought he wasn't answering, if that makes any sense. You know, between the time that I was diagnosed and I got my appendix out, it was a year and a half. And I had people praying for me around the clock because when they discharged me initially from the hospital, they sent me home with a hospice binder. And I was still alive at a year and a half, but I was just barely hanging on. I wasn't getting any better. My heart wasn't improving. I was just barely hanging on. That silent period felt like wasted time. It felt like I had wasted all the people's time that had prayed for me around the clock, and I felt like I was letting them down, and I was confused. But now, with perspective, even though the prayers are still not answered in the way that we had hoped, I can see that He did answer prayer within the silent period, because one of them that I think he was answering and one of the things I think he was speaking to me is that if he had given me an immediate healing, if I had walked out of ICU on day two or day 10 and been healed, that would have been great. But he was after so much more than a physical healing. And by not healing me, I was coming to him again and again and again and again. And all the people on the prayer chain were talking to him daily again and again and again. And things were popping up on their phone that said to pray for me. 
over and over and month after month. And he was weaving these relationships that would never have been formed between him and his children if he had just immediately healed me. It would have been a great story, and I would have told that story, but he was after something so much bigger. And so that was one thing I learned in that silent period is that I wanted this immediate resolution, but he wanted this enduring relationship, not just with me, but with so many other people that were involved in the story. It kind of all got summed up by something my husband said early on. He said, you know, because the doctors were telling me that I wasn't going to get any better and there wasn't anything they could do. So my husband said, it's going to be okay if you don't get any better, if you don't get well, because we're ultimately we're trading what we can't keep for something we can never lose. So I was trading this physical healing that I wanted for this relationship that I could never lose, this deeper faith that I wanted, I thought I had faith before, but it's so much deeper now. You know, another thing is from kind of a selfish angle, that silent period, that time when I thought he wasn't answering my prayer, I'm just writing, you know, I'm typing my fingers off basically because I'm kind of angry, I'm kind of confused. And I had this time to write because I had taught college for 25 years. And after I got my diagnosis, I couldn't stand up and lecture. I just didn't have the breath support or the stamina. But I found that I could sit and I could type all day long. And so this book that, you know, I thought was something in my future, maybe at some point, started to take shape. And I never would have taken the time to do it in a safer, healthier life. I just had too much going on. So that pause produces perspective, I guess you'd say, that allowed me that time to put this book down and, and make it a reality. If I could throw in one more that I learned in that silent period is that something that I just really learned, I, I knew it. If you were to ask it in a multiple choice test question, I'd get the answer right, but I didn't know it in my heart. And that is that this side of eternity, some things aren't going to fix. You know, the relationship isn't going to come back together. You're not going to get out of this financial situation that you're in. For me, a friend of mine that was in the medical field told me early on that the heart is the only muscle that can't heal itself. It doesn't regenerate new tissue. And so basically what he was telling me is that it's not going to get any better. It, it, it doesn't fix. The heart muscle doesn't fix. When that sunk in, I realized that we're all kind of in that situation. We're all living in bodies that are not going to fix this side of eternity. And so it reoriented me. And I wouldn't have seen that without that silent period, without that agonizing months where I felt like God was just ignoring me. It really is a divine detour when you put it that way, at how you really just detoured your life for something more beautiful, giving you that opportunity to pause and share that story and grow deeper with Him. 
And I don't know if you felt this way, but sometimes I just get a little angry. I'm like, Lord, why does it always have to be the bad things that happen that make me grow closer to you? <laughs> you know, because yes. I'm just like, oh, why can't it be the good times? And I'm in the good times, I'm really thankful. Yes, I am thankful and I do have that connection with him, but it doesn't go deep, like that true depth and maturity, unless I hit those hard times. And that's so hard to understand But I think when we get to eternity, our eyes will be opened wide and the Lord will show us why we had to go through those things. How has your struggle, I don't say your struggle, just your path, how has this detour deepened your faith? You know, you said it deepened it, but what are the things that are different now than before you were diagnosed? Mm. That's a great question. Initially, when I got the diagnosis, I, I grew up in a Christian home. I was raised by a mother who was very, she just knew that she knew that she knew that she knew that God was real and he was active and he made a difference. And then I married a man that had the same spiritual DNA and he knew that he knew that he knew as well. But I am wired a little bit different. I had always had that underlying knowledge and faith, and I never doubted that God existed, but I didn't have the depth of it that I needed to get through the tough times in life. So that time when God seemed distant or I'm on this path that I don't want, I'm living a story, I don't want, this is not the way this is supposed to be, God was using that time to pull me into that relationship with Him. And because of that, for example, I'll just tell you, last week I had a checkup on my heart and it significantly decreased. The function was significantly decreased. And they started talking about putting me on the heart transplant list, which they haven't talked about in a few years. And I got home from that. And my friends and church members were asking and saying, are you okay? And I said, I am. I'm really okay because something's different now than it was eight years ago. Because when when I first heard about what all could happen eight years ago, I came home and I Googled and I looked and I asked and I read. I have books I ordered from Amazon about everything about heart-related I was going to figure this out. But this time when I got that news, I was just okay. Because when he took me through that silent period and he took me on that detour, I felt his hand on my shoulder. And I knew that we all are going to end this one way. And I feel taken care of. And I know that that sounds weird, and I I don't think I ever experienced it before in my life, but it's that peace that passes understanding. It's a peace that if you're not experiencing it, you don't get it. And people are looking at me this week and going, are you okay? And I am okay because I have that peace that I know, you know, I know where this is going. I know what the end is. And I know what the end of the story is. And my little piece of it, I don't understand all the little things that are going to happen in my little piece of the story, but I know how the big story ends. And that's what I'm, I'm really 
so thankful for that because, you know, you were talking about how you wish you didn't have to have the hard times for faith to be really deepened. One of the things that I had done, my husband and I had taught uh, classes on an international mission trip for, it was about 10 summers in a row, right before I was diagnosed. And we always had them do a chart, like a line graph about how close they were to God from their birth to current day. And, you know, just do a line about if the line goes up, you're close, you felt closer to God. And if the line goes down, you felt more distant from God and they would draw their line and then explain it. And almost invariably people would say this peak right here, that's when my mother died when I was a child or this peak right here is when I was diagnosed with cancer. Because when things are going well, it's really hard to dig in and get that closeness with God. And so that's what I think I've leaned on mostly is just that overwhelming peace, even when I don't have the answers. And I think, I hope that's what the book portrays, because I think more than the answers, we just need the permission to ask the questions and know that someone's in control and has the answers and and get the peace that comes with that knowing. And I think that's where God, in your story, I was hearing that's where God turns it for good. You know, you're still having that end stage heart failure, but the good part about it is that you're closer to Him than you ever have been. And like your husband said, like, that's what you're gaining out of this, you know, is that relationship that you can never lose. I mean, I just think how amazing is it that God is so deep with us in those struggles, in that pain, and getting us closer to Him in that moment. I think that's, it's hard. It's hard to say it's good, but man, I recently went through something and on those hardest days, there was beauty within that day because I felt the presence of God with me. And there was joy in that. You said your husband and your mom, they weren't doubters. They did not have doubt. <laughs> they were like strong. And I have to say, you know, I'm just like you. There's there's certain things that come. I don't know if it's because I just think too much about stuff and <laughs> go down deep paths of stuff, but doubt does creep up. And in your book, you say doubt is not the opposite of faith. Indifference is. Why do you feel that way? You know, I didn't always feel that way. I, In fact, when this all started, I was a little bit embarrassed and kind of ashamed to have all these questions after having been a Christian all my life. I thought, I must not have been a real Christian if I'm still asking, is God always good? Or, you know, is this life all there is? And what I learned is when I'm asking God a question— when I have this persistent question, and it's like a grain of sand in your shoe where you just can't ignore it, you are wrestling with God. You are encountering Him. You are having a relationship with Him. And He's never far from your mind because, especially for us longtime believers, we're thinking, I have to reconcile this because either this, I believed everything and it was wrong, or I'm confused now. And so we're asking when we're contending. And when I was doing that, I was choosing God again every day. Okay, God, we're going to figure this out. Okay, 
I don't understand, but I'm still coming back to you tomorrow. And it's like that verse, you know, that Peter says in John, and says, to whom shall we go? You're, you're the one that has the words of eternal life. And so every day I'm like, where, where else can I go? I'm going to you again and again and again. And by getting in there and wrestling and defining and, and really owning your faith, it became so much stronger than if I had just ignored my questions. Because really, when you think about the opposite, you know, we think about the opposite of faith as doubt, but really the opposite of faith is just walking away and saying, I'm done with it. I don't care. That's silly. But when we're in there and saying, oh no, I have too much history, God. We're going to figure this out. I got to know why, where are you, how long, all those laments in scripture. That's when your faith gets stronger and more defined and you own it and you are, you're in it. You know, you're still in the game because you are asking those questions. And, and I think scripture bears that out. There's so many laments. There's so many questions. And the beautiful thing, like you were talking about, Erica, is that at the end of almost all the laments in scripture, they come down to God's goodness. And when we're able to question and complain and lament and wrestle with God, something about that process lets us sift out God's goodness from the situation that we're in. And He knew that. And so He wants us to do that if that's what our minds and our personalities and needs are. Yeah, He wants that relationship and that conversation with us. During the battle that I was having, I said the exact same thing as you said. I was like, okay, Lord, I don't get it, but I'm going to keep coming back and I'm going to keep coming back and I'm going to keep coming back to you. Like, just don't give up on me. You know, I'm not going to give up on you. Don't give up on me. And so it was just this back and forth conversation of my questions and my doubt and, you know, my unbelief. And I just said, like, hold on to me. (laughs) I'm holding on to you, even if it may not seem like it. You know, even if the questions that I have or I'm angry or I'm bitter, like, I'm still holding on to you. It doesn't look like it from everybody else's perspective. But um, from God's perspective, He knew that. He knew my heart behind it, and He gives us that grace and that love to ask those questions. Oh, Lori Ann, this was just such an eye-opening conversation and so great. Um, Thank you for sharing your story with us and in your heart with the Lord. And i just love for you to tell the listeners how they can connect with you and how they can get a copy of your book. Yeah. Well, I have a website. It's LoriAnnWood.com. I want to say first, if anybody's in that silent period, because I have a perspective on it now, and I'm back talking to God, and I feel like He's talking to me, and we're all good. But if you're in that silent period, I have some prayers and promises that I dug out of Scripture those days where I was saying, oh, no, I'm not letting go, God. We're going to figure this out. I have that on my website that I'd I'm happy to share with anybody that could use that. And that's at lauriannwood.com slash hope. Uh, the book, as you said, is called Divine Detour. The path you'd never choose can lead to the faith you've always wanted. And it is available on Amazon. 
There's a books page on my website that has the trailer and you can read the first chapter free if you'd like. And I'm really excited because it just came out in audio. So that's a new thing in the last month or so. I guess I'm Laurieann Wood on pretty much all the socials. So, Isn't it nice when you can get your whole name? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Well, thank you so much for being on. I just have one more question for you. I want to know what brought you joy today. One of the things that this time, this extension really of my life has brought me is that, and I was talking to my doctor about it the other day, I said, you know, even if we're headed to transplant or something worse than that, I have eight years that I wasn't supposed to have. And in those eight years, I emptied my nest. So all my children are gone. They're out on their own. I gained a son-in-law and I wrote a book. And my parents, this is going to sound weird, but my parents both passed away in 2020. And I'm just so grateful that they didn't have to bury a child. And that sounds weird, but that eight years spared my parents from a lot of grief. I look back on that and think how wonderful that that eight years was able to give me that. But maybe the best thing that came out of those eight years is I became a grandma, which no one ever thought that would happen. And little Hazel is a year and a half, and she brings me FaceTime joy every day. (laughs) What a beautiful perspective. I have tears in my eyes of just the goodness of all of that. That is joy. That is joy for sure. Well, I'm blessed. The listeners are blessed for those extra eight years that you've gotten, and we'll be praying for Many more for you, for sure. So thank you so much, Lorianne. I just really appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been great to visit with you, Erica. A deep faith is the true reward of life. Lorianne's journey hasn't been easy, but as she said, she now has a faith she always wanted and a peace only God could provide. If you are struggling to ask questions about a situation you never wanted, It's okay. God can handle them, and He wants you to ask. He will not return void if you ask and seek to understand. I'm so grateful you spent time today listening to this episode. If you were encouraged by what you heard, share the love with other women you know and send them the link to this episode. Just think how many more women could be blessed with faith-inspired encouragement. Love and prayers. Erica. Congrats on saying yes to a life filled with joy and Jesus. If you want more, head to faithinspiredpodcast.com for show notes and links to all the resources mentioned in today's episode. Be sure to subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast platform to stay faith inspired. And remember, faith is not just a belief, it's a lifestyle.